Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another week of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. Now, I'm excited today because what was originally planned as a fireside chat between two mates has turned into an amazing conversation about leadership and building strong teams. As always, my intention is to bring you week in, week out content that inspires, educates, and provides practical information that is actionable so that you can indeed scale up your business, your career, your life, all of the amazing stuff that we cover on the show. But this week, we're gonna get right into building your dream team. And I'd like to introduce you to my guest, my good friends, Paul Avens. Now, Paul, similar to me, is someone who is passionate, obsessed, whatever word you choose to use, about scaling up businesses. In fact, it's not just about scaling up a business, it's about the person that we wanna help take their business to the next level so they can have an amazing life. Now, Paul specifically helps CEOs and family-run businesses build what he calls a grown-up business. And that is something that creates real shareholder value, something that can be passed to the next generation, or indeed it can be sold for seven, eight figures, or more. But today, as I said, we're gonna get right into probably one of the most important factors when it comes to scale up. How do you get the right people in the right seats? How do you structure things effectively so that you know whether you choose to exit your business so that you can go and sit on a beach but the business runs without you, or whether you choose to build a high value business that can be sold to someone else for life-changing money, getting the right people around you that share the vision is a critical component of that. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about entrepreneurship is it's a self, you're a self-made entrepreneur. I hate that phrase because nobody's self-made. Everybody needs a team. Everyone has people around them that back them up. So I hope that you have your notepads close to you because you're definitely going to write some stuff down from our conversation. We covered a lot of ground, not just teams. We also spoke about brand, branding, why a brand is a promise of consistency. Paul shares his journey so far, how he became one of the most sought after coaches in the UK. We briefly touch on the different types of entrepreneurship and why it's important to find out what type of entrepreneur you are. And finally, as I said, we talk a lot about building teams, how you can start building a strong and effective team and how you can develop as an amazing leader as well. People are fundamentally, they're not taught about it. We get taught marketing, lots of marketing and you know, you get to sort of sales, but actually being taught how to build a team is not something that's, that there's lots of people out there teaching you how to, how to do it. So if that sounds like an awesome way to spend your next 45 minutes or so, then welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Paul Abrams. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley. Welcome to Scale Up. Another week, another awesome episode, another amazing guest. Like every week, I try and bring different people on with different experiences, different perspectives, different insights to help you on your business journey. And today, I have my good friends, Mr. Paul Avens. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks, Nick. I'm really excited to be here. I can't tell you, been been pumped for this one all day. So this is so a little bit of a backstory, and then we'll get into kind of your story. But we sort of knew each other from various things. We're both based in the UK. Uh, on Clubhouse, we sort of had a bit of a connection. It was funny. Paul, Paul was brought up into this stage, virtual thingy stage in Clubhouse. And I was doing this like 10 mile run. And you did like a masterclass on mindset, mate. I, it was really good. And I was thinking, man, this is really cool. And then we texted each other, like I was on the run with the phone out. And you're like, yeah. oh, we should do yeah. some stuff together. Fast forward, you know, six months or so. I've spoken at one of your masterminds. We're talking you about have? collaboration on collaborating on some cool stuff. We're talking about getting a team of people together to go to Necker Island. I think we should definitely do that. <laughs> there you go. So if anyone's listening to this and they want to kind of do the whole, 
It's not just the Branson thing, but let's be honest, it's going to be damn good. Um, Get in touch. And we're going to try and plan that for 2023. It's going to be a very select group of entrepreneurs, business owners, and it's going to be pretty damn amazing. So if Necker Island I think the the maximum you can do, I think from memory is about 35 or 40. Is that right? Um, And yeah, so it's five days on Necker, fully inclusive, me and you, everything to do with how to scale and sale. Um, and it'll Fantastic. be the, the, and Branson joins you for breakfast my, uh, is part so, of the deal. So, so if you've yeah, got I mean, that on your, on your vision board of meeting Mr. Branson at some point before he decides he's not going to do that stuff anymore. Yeah. Because that'll get happen. In, get in it. So, so let's get into this a little bit. So you have been a, a very renowned business coach, Paul, for, for a long, long time. I've heard a bit of your story, but let's, let's share the story with the listeners. And then we're going to talk about some pretty important components of scale up today. Yep. Okay, cool. Great. So, I mean, I always find it amusing when people say like a uh, long, long time, because for me, it doesn't feel like a long, long time, but technically it's 17 years now. So that's a while, uh, mate. I, know. <laughs> well, I started very young. You know, that was the thing. I, I was 30, what was I, 30, 32, 33 when I started, something like that in terms of coaching my career. So I, I was at the beginning of the entire industry, really. I think I was the second or third kind of coach in the UK period, right? I mean, nobody knew what a business coach was. Back then there was no Google, no Amazon, no YouTube. I sound ancient sounding saying that now, don't I? But uh, the reality was if you needed to know things about how to grow your business or scale your business, then the reality was you needed to ask a professional. You couldn't just go and find that information online like you can today. And um, there wasn't access to amazing tools like podcasts. None of that stuff existed. So, but I used to go networking and trying to explain this concept of what a business coach was and why you would need one um, was genuinely quite challenging, you know, and, it, and I had a number of epic fails in trying to communicate that early on in the career. Um, and I would regularly leave um, um, networking events with uh, somebody saying, oh, can, oh, by the way, I've got a, a, group, a company outing, there's 20 people in it. Can you transport them there? And I'm like, Oh, what no. do you think I? What do you think I do? I don't, well, you're a business coach, no, so you not, have, not the not the. You know, can, by the yeah. way, can you take that box up the stairs and on the way out take the garbage? There, there was a <laughs> no, joke was like about they that. Genuinely, they genuinely thought I was. I owned a coach company, you know, like a bus oh, company. Coach. That's, that's oh what they thought, right? Um, so I remember. To, I'll, I'll tell you this story really briefly, but it, it just shows you how you can try a really good marketing idea, and it can it can be it can not only be bad, but it can be memorably bad. Like memorably bad to the extent I got an email from somebody like two weeks ago who said. Oh, you won't remember me, but I was in the room when you did this. And I did that 16 years ago. And I'm like, oh, God, seriously, let it go. Right. So, so I was trying to draw the, conclude, the, the comparison between a sports coach and a business coach. Right. So as in sports, everybody gets it. Right. If you want to play better, you want to get coached. You want somebody to look at your blind spots. Hey, if you play tennis, here's how you improve. You want to improve running, whatever. You need somebody to look at you and go, look, you, you, your form's off. This is how you get better. Everyone gets it. If you want to be a world-class athlete, you need a world-class coach makes complete sense right everything but back then that was the only thing i could kind of draw to get people to go oh it's like that but for business oh okay and um so (laughs) so in this in this moment i thought right, i need to get everyone's attention networking so back then it was all blue you know blue suits and shirts and ties and everyone looked the same at a networking event you know what it's like and um so i I bought this red whistle this red whistle on a, a red lanyard and went to this networking breakfast and and the idea was that it would be a really good pattern interrupt, you know, like I decided because it's six. You didn't, 30, buy, you didn't blow the whistle, did you? I did. Yeah, oh I did. I, I stood up to do my one minute presentation in front of forty five business owners and blew the whistle. And apart <laughs> from the fact that I was very lucky, two of them, 
two of them in their 60s didn't have heart attacks, which could have happened, um, <laughs> looking at the shape they were in. But the reality was, it yes, it got everyone's attention, but in a way that I could, like literally for two years afterwards, and as I said, still today, there are people who were in that room who still bring that up. Now, memorable, yes. Conversion, not necessarily. But um, yeah, so just- You're taking that a step further these days because like there isn't there isn't anyone I know, certainly in the space that we're in, coaching, consultancy speaking, who who has a brand color so well identified as as Paul Avens. And obviously there's a couple of colors there, but but it's the purple piece, it right? Is. Yes. Um, there's a bit of a joke. For anyone who's watching this on YouTube, um, behind <laughs> Paul, he's decided to put a Captain America um, shield up as a joke. In purple, because just to be clear, in, in purple, purple right? not, in, not in red, blue and white. Because nope. uh, was it last weekend, the weekend before I had to run this event with my daughter, Arabella, a school event where yes. I dressed up as Captain America. So, so there's a little bit of an in joke, but I thought I'd share it with all of you guys. And of course, if you're listening to this, it makes no bloody sense whatsoever. None. But just think that Paul, Paul's, Paul's quite a quirky guy, right? And he's got he's got this brand thing. Even the watch matches his color. It, it, I do have a purple watch that I wear when I'm on stage. That's true. Yes. I nearly wore it for today's podcast, actually. But um, but I, it's just, here's the interesting, uh, let me tell you this story because I think stories really, because I get this all the time. People say, what's the thing with the purple? You know, because I've kind of gone to an extreme with this. I have a purple car. True. Yes. Right. I have purple shoes, purple jacket, all that stuff. Right. So um, interestingly, I posted a picture of me recently wearing a red jacket on LinkedIn and I got loads of people going, where's the, where's the purple? What are you doing wearing red? You're not allowed to wear red. That's, re it's bra that's brand pollution. Re brand. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I, I own another company and that's got a red logo. So I was I was having I was in that company head that day. So I'll actually, you know, use colors, interestingly, to define what kind of day I'm in in terms of what I'm doing. Right. But um, the reason purple came around was um, I ran a networking club in the UK for 11 years and it was it was pretty it was pretty successful in Oxford. Right. So we had 50 members. It was really uh, the first if I'm honest, looking back, it was really the first kind of mastermind that I ever ran because it was 50 members with me every two weeks and it would be a mix of networking and business coaching. And it was a way to generate leads for me. It was a way to get people into an environment um, that I was running so they could see me on stage, see me teach and kind of go through this whole kind of idea about how you build a you know grown up business, as I call it. And the interesting thing was when we wanted to rebrand that at one point, um, the branding guy said, Look, what, what colors have, have you looked into what colors mean? And I was like, no, I haven't really. So we started looking into what colors mean. And, and the, we were rebranding it to a concept called the, the business wealth club, right? It was about wealth and prosperity and abundance and not just money, but it's just a wealth, wealth of business, wealth, you know, network is your wealth, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, cool. And, and you look at the word wealth and the color that's associated with wealth is purple. Is that like regal, like as in such yeah, regal, a absolutely. Thing? Okay, got in it. In fact, there was a period. I'm in Australian, history, remember, so that sort of stuff normally just bounces off. Yeah, but there was a <laughs> there was a period in history that I didn't know until recently. There was a period in history in English history. If you were caught wearing purple and were not of suitable social standing, i.e., you were not one of the nobility and had enough money, you could be executed for it. It was actually a capital offence. So um, anyway, but that's going back a long, long time, clearly, right? But but the thing was, we rebranded to this purple, and I started wearing sort of you know purple shirts and. It be, and and then we did this big event one morning where there were 120 people came for breakfast, which is a big deal, right? 120 people coming for a networking event in seven o'clock in the morning is a big event. And, um, and, and the members who were in the group had decided amongst themselves to wear purple. Like I hadn't told them to do it. They just decided. So the, the, out of the, you know, there were 45 members, I think at the time, and at least 30 of them turned up wearing purple, you know, like some amazing women in amazing purple dresses and guys with purple ties. And it was all, they choreographed it. They, they planned it, nothing to do with me. And I, but I stood at the front of the room and I just thought, we're onto something here. This has, this is, this is a hook, right? This is something it's like, okay, we can get known for this. This is a tribe. This is a tribe. People feel bought in enough to want to wear the color. 
So it kind of just became a became a thing. And now it's sort of just it's one of those things that I can I I can't walk away from it, nor would I want to, by the way. But uh, yeah, there's always purple. I'm always wearing some form of purple somewhere at some point on me somewhere, even if it's just my my 10th wedding anniversary that my wife bought me, which is this beautiful purple bracelet that she got from. It does. Well, listen, it it looks good. And I think, you know, I used to be in the world of branding, as a lot of people know on this show. And uh, one of the best definitions of a brand was a promise of consistency. Right. You know, across everything. Yeah, it is nice. You know, so that can be obviously not just the look and feel. It can be the experience that comes across from it. So and as soon as you break away from that, um, you know, then obviously that that causes a mistrust and that's when brands can start to go downwards. They can spiral down. So there you go. So there's a, a bit of an insight for everyone today. <laughs> there you go. So that's, that's how to do networking badly uh, whistle and how to do it correctly. Be consistent enough with a brand that people start to dress like the community they're in. There you go. So, there you go. so why did you become a coach? Uh, what a great question. So what, well, the story behind that's kind of interesting. So um, up until that point in my career, I was at 32. So I'd, I'd been um, kind of, I would say I was an entrepreneur, but misdiagnosed entrepreneur until later in life. I was written off at school, wasn't diagnosed and that's until 14 or 15 as being dyslexic um, and just did not understand that the way I thought was different to everybody else. That, that took years to kind of really figure mm. out. But in my 20s, I'd sort of been involved with sort of starting and building five different businesses. And one did particularly well. There was a group of three of us. One did particularly well. Um, and we were able to exit that business in terms of scale it and sell it, which was the first time I'd ever done that. And then I'd done the classic thing of I had money and no idea what to do with it. So I started just investing in things I didn't understand and didn't really know. And then by the time I got to sort of 32, I'd managed to lose it all, which was, you know, yeah. spectacular in itself um, and very educational. It's also very that. common, by the way. It's more <laughs> common. So don't don't feel that like, you know, oh, my God, you know, I see so many people who have some success and then they think that it's like a Midas touch thing. Right. Yeah. And I just just as a note for people listening here, and, and I've made this point a few times. You know, don't jump on the band. This is not saying you did this, Paul, by the way, but just generally don't jump on the bandwagon of things, right? You know, I, I'm a very big believer in playing lanes these days. And I do worry mm. about a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are out there investing in things that they don't really know much about. Yeah. And I've done it. You know, I've lost money as well by by being that person. It's a, it's an interesting lesson once you go through it. You don't tend to repeat it. You tend to let it No, once. no. I think... Um... I mean, listen, you know, pain is a bigger teacher than, than pleasure, right? Generally, you tend to pay attention to the things that hurt the most because they, they hurt. They, therefore, you get, they, they get your attention. And I learned, I learned a lot there about investing and the fact that I, w- I didn't understand what I was investing and I wasn't educated. You know, I hadn't gone training courses on it. I hadn't, got, I hadn't done any kind of study about it. I took some professional advice and then just went, okay, without yeah. going, actually, the number one thing I need to invest in is my education to become aware of what I should be investing in and controlling, you know, my own, my own portfolio. So that, that was on me. I can't blame anyone else for that one. That's entirely on me, but it's, it's interesting when people say, oh, you like so many other people. Yeah. But you go through it in isolation. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many other people have done it. You still, you're still going through it back in isolation. And if you'd have told me that when I moved back in, you know, moved, you know, back in with my parents, when it happened at the time and I got divorced all at the same time and everything like that. And you know, that, that whole kind of, yeah, but you're still going through it in isolation. It does make time. it better with other people. Though, let's be honest. I mean, yeah, like, you know, and, and, and part of the reason you run masterminds and I run similar things is because sharing the pain and the ecstasy <laughs> makes, it's it, makes it easier, right? It's lonely. I mean, the biggest, I, I think if you talk to most entrepreneurs, right, genuinely like people running businesses, the challenge is when you're up, who do you share it with? 
because you don't want to upset people around you. you don't want to, you know, family and friends, they, they'll, it will come off as bragging. If you oh, I just had a record month, we just smashed it, you know, and if they're all on salaries or they've been made redundant or they're having a tough time of it and you're going, oh, I just crushed it. I made 250 grand this quarter. Life's great. There's an element of you feel really uncomfortable about doing that because you don't want to make them feel bad. So who do you share your wins with in an environment that people will celebrate you and go, absolutely brilliant crack on and also when you're really down and you're having a period you know time when you're like life's beating you up i've got a client at the moment going through a really tough time with some legal stuff who do you go in a room where you're not going to be judged for it who can you talk to you can't talk to your team at length about that you can talk to your senior management team but not necessarily your your entire team you can't don't always want to go home and share that stuff with your family because they'll worry so where do you go and have a room where you're not going to be judged for your success or your all your all your periods where you're struggling, but you can go in and be honest and be vulnerable. And that that kind of environment, there are not many of those around. And I think there's a reason why entrepreneurs feel so isolated at times. And that's I think that's the one the biggest probable killer of dreams for entrepreneurs. Period is isolation and loneliness and going. It isn't worth the price I'm paying, and it isn't. You know, I don't think I can do this anymore, and it isn't worth the price I'm paying. Yeah. And you get, you know, you, the worst place you can be when you're feeling like that is stuck in a room by yourself, particularly a dark room. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> so back to you being a coach True. and becoming a coach. Yes. Right. Sorry, so, answer the question. Yeah. Um, so I was looking for, I was looking for someone to do. I'd listen, I'd all be, I got interested in personal development when I was 19, got dragged to a, um, a network marketing seminar and saw some really amazing speakers on stage talk about, you know, like uh, the whole idea of this idea of investing in yourself and changing yourself. And you know, really kind of going, look, I can scale myself. I, I, you know, I talk about the number one piece of advice I got that changed my life was to invest 10% of whatever I earned for the rest of my life back in training me. Now that, that was the thing. That was the thing that really kind of, I went, I buy that. And I've kind of stuck to that for the rest of my life, whether it's been 50,000 know, pounds one year or 5,000 pounds or 2,000 pounds or 500 pounds. It, it's, it's fluctuated, but it's still been there. Right. So like, you know, last week I took a course. Why? Because I want to make better videos. So I took a course on 14 days on how to shoot better videos on your iPhone. Because like, do you know what? I, I want to learn how to do that because it means I can. I want to create a better output or better content. So, okay, great. Go get educated. I bought into that philosophy and that kind of changed my life. And I was at, um, I was at a trade show in Birmingham and I was walking around this big exhibition hall. And I remember walking past this really odd stand that was yellow, uh, orange and black, I think if I remember right at the time. And there was this, 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 you know, there were all the books I had on my bookshelf were on this stand, like all of them, like, you know, Think and Grow Rich, um, Magic of Thinking Big, uh, Awaken the Giant, you know, all, you know, Who Moved My Cheese, all of that kind of stuff. They were all on the show. That's weird. What's that all about? And then there was this Australian person on, on the screen who looked about, you know, I'll be honest with you, looked about sort of 12, bless him, um, at the time. And I was like, that's weird. What's this all about? Anyway, went over and had a chat to the lady called Gail Bevan, who uh, really is an incredible woman, first my first ever proper coach. And um, and it turned out it was Action Coach Franchise. And they would just wow. come to the UK from Australia. And I was like, well, what is this whole kind of coaching thing? What is it? Explain it to me. And they explained it to me. And um, I was like, all right, okay. That sounds like exactly what I would want to do with my life. That sounds like something I would really want to do. So went out, sat down with my wife. We had a cup of coffee. And I said to her, I think we've just spent, you know, X thousand pounds because I want to do that. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, definitely. And um, so, yeah, so we literally within about, a month of that exhibition, we became the third coach for the franchise in the UK. Um, I went on to win in the five years I was in the franchise. I went on to win um, three global awards, multiple Euro European and UK awards. I was the first coach 
outside of Australia to win the global award for best results with clients. So I beat over a thousand other coaches in terms of the KPIs and the revenue and profits that I drove up. Is that how they track it? I was always curious about how they do that. So they're tracking the business growth performance. uh, I take it feedback as well, or is it all metrics based? Um, Back at the time, well, I can't speak because obviously I left 12 years ago. So difficult to say now, but back when I was in, um, they were tracking uh, longevity of clients, the client retention, which is something I've always been very good at because I get client results. So they stay. Um, Then you've got talking about revenue growth, profit growth, team growth growth there was there was multiple different kind of things that fed into that um but yeah I, I was the first coach outside of australia to win the global award for that and then um i won two global awards in the five years i was in it and coach of the year in the in the uk and europe i think three of the five years i was in at the time so you know in terms of clearly it became something i was able to deliver a lot of value for during my time in that organization which i'm eternally grateful for i thank brad you know brad a lot for everything i learned from him but got to a point where done five years of that really need to kind of go out and build my own brand now and build a brand that that i feel is something that i can i can feel is authentic but also that's my philosophy we had a different point of view at that point i believe very much in the future of the internet very much in the you know the idea that content was going to be king and that the ability to create digital was going to be a, a critical fundamental shift in the coaching industry and and that was something i wanted to go ahead and, and really kind of pursue um and build out so yeah for me that was great it's been brilliant. I've loved the five years, but I need to go go now be on my own. Well, I think you know that thing. happens. It happens even if you're employed by something as well, doesn't it? You kind of yeah. get that point where there's a shift. You might have a different point perspective. But you sort of mentioned before about being sort of somewhat accidental entrepreneurship. <laughs> Explain yes. that. Um, well, I think no, I, accidentally, as in as I wasn't diagnosed for it. I think. You know, I didn't. I didn't grow I up in a house. You mean diagnosed in terms of the stuff we're about to talk about? No, no, no. <laughs> about <laughs> people assessment and skills and things. But no, I mean, no, no. Like, that, that, you, how can you be diagnosed an entrepreneur? You no, either... no. What I mean, what I mean by that? Okay, so let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean is, I grew up in a family and a family where you know my father worked for himself, but he was, but he wasn't an entrepreneur, right? He had. He was a salesman and very good at that, but he wasn't an entrepreneur, right? He had one or two professions his entire life and he'd come out of a corporate world and then kind of gone self-employed. And I didn't, you know, for me, I didn't think like him, right? I I didn't think at all the way he thought. I was very different uh, in terms of my approach. I wanted to move from opportunity to opportunity. He was one thing, stay with it all the time. We didn't have an entrepreneurial kind of uh, home in terms of conversations about that creativity. It wasn't celebrated. It wasn't even mentioned. I don't, I don't think the word entrepreneur was mentioned in my first 18 years at home. You know, business owner, yes, but entrepreneur, no, never really mentioned. So I never, I just never felt I fitted in like that. And even when I came out of university after a year of business studies and deciding that there's no way I wanted to sit in a classroom for the next two years and learn this stuff, I'd rather go out and, and kind of go in the real world um, and get street smarts and stuff. And uh, even then it just, I, I, I hadn't realized that my brain was ideally designed to see opportunities and exploit them. Well, actually, what it's really designed for is to help other people see opportunities and exploit them. That's actually really where my superpower is. It's like I'm very good at helping other people see opportunities that within their businesses they can exploit and, and take advantage of very quickly and grow organically to get to the seven, eight figure levels, you know, those kind of with acquis- without acquisitions, which is stuff you're brilliant at, which is why I brought you in. Um, but yeah, that that's my superpower but nobody had explained that to me back then i was you know i was called you know labeled as things like lazy i'm not i just get distracted i've had to learn that skill of focus but it's that whole kind of piece for me of i didn't have people around me who were entrepreneurs that i could go oh, that's what i'm like you know so therefore i just felt i was out of step with everyone around me 
Yeah. I mean, as, as we've spoken about sort of off offline or off record, there are different types of entrepreneurship, right? So I'm not a startup entrepreneur. I think people think mm. when you hear the word entrepreneur, it's someone who sees a problem and they go and solve that problem, which usually means, you know, the thinking is that so I'm going to go start this thing and it's going to create whatever else. But I find that, you know, there are different types. You've got people who do what I do. There are people who do what you do. So I do acquisition entrepreneurship and I do scale up. I fix problems that have been created by other people as opposed to, and you do a similar thing. I can't start a business. I mean, I've tried starting businesses. They all fail, right? It just, it's just not, it's not where I'm at. And I don't see the world in that way. Um, but there's a partnership that then comes together when you meet someone who can do that, but they can't scale a business. You know, they don't know how to think of the business in a different way. They can't change out of their mindset of what they are. So, so I think entrepreneurship sometimes does get a bit of a weird definition or maybe yeah, a, I, a one you know track view. Well, actually you saying that is a really light bulb for me because actually when I, when I say diagnose, what I actually in reflection on that comment realize is that I, I didn't understand my profile. So I didn't even understand what kind of business person entrepreneur I was trying to be or could be had the potential to be like you and i talked about this when you when you spoke at my inner circle like you your profile is naturally designed to take something that's already operating and blow it up right that's you, you know in terms of acquisitions because that works completely with your profile and i think for me i wasn't die i i didn't manage to realize through through self-diagnosis what i was good at for a long period of time yeah. it took me it took me a long much longer than it would now with the resources around now and the tools around now to realize actually that's where I, that's where I add a load of value and actually that's where I'm in a flow state and I really enjoy what I do. That that's really where I'm coming at it from in terms of going. Yeah, I, I think I think large amounts of your twenties is is actually trying to figure out who you are and what you're good at. That it's just that was my experience anyway. And some people are very lucky to figure it out really fast. I, I wasn't. It did. It took me a lot longer to figure it out in terms of go. Okay, I'm, that's that's what I'm good at. And everything to do with teams. Whenever I've been involved with teams or leading teams or building teams or you know that's that that's why the Captain America joke for me resonates because he's he's like for me like if you want to lead a team you want to be Captain America right you don't want to be the Hulk you want to be Captain America for me I want to be Captain America so um because <laughs> he's, he's, he's to be frank it's the only outfit that outfit that I had in the closet I'm gonna be honest <laughs> but it's but it's also he isn't do you know why I resonate with that because I think sometimes to be a leader it isn't about having superpowers it's about having the value set the courage the conviction you know it's 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 those things that actually you know and you've got to be able to do it all day, right? You've got to be able to keep doing it all day, even if you don't get the credit. And for me, that's when I've played in teams and been around teams. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions about entrepreneurship is it's a self, you're a self-made entrepreneur. I hate that phrase because nobody's self-made. Everybody needs a team. Everyone has people around them that back them up. You can't do any of this without people around you. Talent is critical for any enterprise to be successful. And the idea that you did, you somehow did all it on your own is it sets people up. I don't up even understand where that came failure. from. <laughs> that whole term of self-made, you know, self-made millionaire or whatever, wherever it came from. I think it's embarrassing these days if anyone even says that because, you know, and not to be judgmental too much about it, but like, you know, the conversation you had with your grandpa when you were twelve maybe shaped one of the thoughts that got you to be successful. So you cannot sit there and say that just because you started a business that that was all it was, right? Every influence, every piece of environment, everything you read, it all has an impact, right? Big time, yeah. But let's get into, one of the things we wanted to do today was was give some value back to the listeners, certainly from Paul's experience. And and one of the things that that really resonated with me, having having known Paul for a while now, is the focus on on building teams, but in order to do that, understanding yourself 
first and and what type of leader you are within teams and there are lots of facets of this and i and i think definitely i haven't seen you know i've been around this this world for a little while now i haven't seen anyone balance the art and science of this as well as you so let's let's talk about this i mean the, the topic here we're just going to get into now for 10 minutes or so is is how do you how do you start to build a really strong team around you particularly when you're scaling or to use your term building a grown up business how do you start that process? Because I've I've screwed this up. I'll be really honest. I've kind of thought I like that person. They kind of a bit like me, so I'm going to hire them. That's great. That's not the way. But let, let's get into it. Let's get to your your philosophy on it and 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 some practicalities for people listening today. Yeah. So we talk about it in terms of creating the right team dynamics. That's the phrase that we use. And and I've got a separate company that's called Team Dynamics that does exactly this. Helps people sort this out because it is it is a real it is a real sticking point when you're trying to scale and, and it isn't something that people are fundamentally, they're not taught about it. We get taught marketing, lots of marketing and, you know, you get taught sort of sales, but actually being taught how to build a team is not something that's, that there's lots of people out there teaching you how to, how to do it. And actually, if you do the research and I have, there is a formula, there is a framework, there is a system that has been crafted by sports teams who invest millions and the military who invest millions to build teams. Mm. And yet somehow business has this, almost archaic view that if I, you know, if I take the team out for a, a paintball day shooting and a couple of pizzas twice a year, you know, we go 10 pin bowling, everything will somehow magically all work. And it just, it just doesn't. And it, you know, the, the, the way I like to teach people to look at it is I say, think about it like this. Um, if you look at most businesses, right. That, that are scaling, that are growing, that are looking to go, you know, in that journey, then look at your, your PL and you'll find your, you know, the, one of the biggest fixed costs in your business is people. Okay. It, it will be, it'll be salaries. It'll be the biggest thing everyone worries about paying most months. It's the biggest single cost for most businesses because of that. And I say, look, if you look at, if you look at that as a number, as an investment, if you think about it as an investment rather than a cost for a second, and you think, okay, let's just do the numbers. If your salary bill is a hundred thousand a month, right? A hundred thousand dollars a month or $50,000 a month. Let's do a hundred because it makes the maths easy for a minute. Yeah. So you're spending 1.2 million dollars um, a year on on talent that's what you're spending and if you got to think and you start thinking about that it reframes it a little bit right okay so then you got to start looking about return on talent so out of that money what's the return what's it generating for me and then you start thinking about okay well here's an interesting question how productive are those people being how in flow are they right so when and by definition of flow for me is when you know somebody's high energy they're getting loads of things done they're really focused they they, they can get so much done in in six hours most people can't do it in three days they're in that peak state where they're just on it and they make it look effortless and easy to everyone around them and it doesn't feel that you know it doesn't feel like work it doesn't it just doesn't feel like work it's like this is i could do this all day it's easy right that's when you're in that peak state of flow so if you go, okay, well, if that's, if that's working at 80, 90%, and you can't live there, by the way, but you can spend, you can definitely peak there for three to four hours a day. And if you can, it'll change your life in terms of how much you get done. But if you look at your, your entire team and you go, how productive do you think they're actually being? Like really productive, like not stuck in meetings, talking, not doing anything, not, you know, surfing the internet, getting distracted. You know, how productive do you actually think your team are? Most entrepreneurs, if they're entirely honest, whenever we ask them this at uh, a workshop or anything like that, will say, well, they like to say, because this happened to a client of mine, he said, oh, we're 60% productive. And I said, okay, based on what? And he went, oh, actually, we've got we've got uh, tools back in the business that we use to track productivity. And he went back to the business, he went, actually, well, like time some... cheating. Yeah. He said, he said, well, no, <laughs> clocking in, clocking out. Yeah, but that's not a good tool. Um, oh. But he came back and said, actually, the data tells me we're about 38% productive. 
And I went, so think about that. If you're spending 1.2 million pounds a year or dollars a year, and you were getting a 38% return on that, you would, if that was a piece of machinery that was running at 38% efficiency, you would bring somebody in to fix it. You would. You'd go, oh, we need to hire a specialist to come in and change this. We need to, we need to figure out how to do it. But most people have this limiting belief that starts with the, the whole point that, that people are difficult. You can't work them out. They're really awkward. They do, they do. I don't understand half of them and why they do what they do. And they're, you know, it's, it's complicated. Where actually, do you know what? You can start to understand what makes people tick, what really puts them in a flow, flow state. And my point of view is, look, the data is really clear on this, right? You can get an 18% bump, according to KPMG, in profitability alone if you just put people in a more productive state. But most of us aren't looking at it from that perspective. We're, we're not saying actually, as a leader, our single biggest goal is to help our people be the best they can be for more hours in a week than anything else. That's the metric. And for me, this is where I started to get really obsessed with the whole idea. And it, nine times out of 10, it's because most leaders don't understand themselves first. So they don't understand their own profile. They don't understand what they, where they contribute the most value. They don't understand the things that they should be doing and the things that they should absolutely not be doing at all and the boxes they should get out of because they are singly not equipped to do it or they're a blocker, which is worse, yeah. which is worse, right? Now, I'll give you this as a gift. Well, let's, I was going to say, let's riff back with forward because I want to, I've got a question for you in a second, which is yeah, go. when are you most in flow? right? To use the term. Yep. And then when am I based on, because I've done your profile, right? Your um, team dynamic stuff. So you know you more than I know about it. So let's riff on it a bit because it'd be yep. quite interesting, I think, because then the next logical question is who do we need around us Correct. to be successful? Well, yeah. Uh, who do we need around us to support us and allow us to do what we're, what we're yeah. uni- as, as um, Dan Solomon would say, uniquely, uniquely designed to do? What's our unique capability, right? And for, for me, I'm at flow. So I'm a champion profile. So I'm at flow when I'm doing stuff like this. Last week when we ran our scale up marketing um, summit in the UK and I'm on stage for two days, that's a peak flow zone. Yeah, for me, that's I had a 10 out of 10 week last week. Like and what literally. is that about? Just to be clear, is that the teaching, the helping, the contribution, or is it the it's, fact that you've got a bit of, there is a bit of significance and profile in that as well? You're yeah. on stage. Well, the, so champions get are all about raising a brand, but they're also, so you have two secondary profiles in a champion profile where it's about creativity. It's about being that spark. So it's, it's about being the catalyst. So an event like that for me, I'm a catalyst for change in the room. I'm a catalyst for helping other people grow. So I, I get really juiced by being a catalyst for change. And then my secondary, the other secondary profile, I have the second, if you like, right and left hands for a second, if you think about it like that yeah. as a visual. Um, uh, or pendulums. I talk about it being a pendulum. You got swing, you know, the pendulum swings um, between the two different pro- sides of your profile. Um, the, but I'm a coach. So I actually really get a real kick out of working with people and helping them to spark ideas and to move and to get better results, right? So for me, it's about igniting greatness in others. And when I'm doing that, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. I've got tons of energy. I can live on four hours sleep and love my life. It's awesome. Okay. Now that that's not sustainable. You can't live there for two weeks. You'll burn out, but you can live there for four days quite happily and love every minute of it. Um, but if you said to me, actually, Paul, you need to sit in this room and work on spreadsheets for the next day and a half, working out budgets and cash flows. And it's like, seriously, my, the level of energy I would have after 20 minutes, so I, I, it would be horrible. I would, I, would, I, would try, I would rather do anything else than do that. And if I had to do it, I would constantly be looking for reasons or distractions or things to do that would mean I don't have to do that, right? So, I, I, And this is typically where people go, oh, they're a procrastinator. No, no. You only procrastinate. I don't know if you, this is true for you, right? What are the things that you procrastinate on? 
Oh God, like it's similar to yours to some extent. I mean, like, you know, if I have to, well, if, if I have to spend time um, communicating um, to my team operational things, right? Right. Like you know, I, I often say to my team, just don't get me near any of this. Right. You know, and it was funny. It was John Martini. I think I mentioned this to you, but he, he, he called me out in one of his uh, events I was at. And um, he said, okay, you know, what do you value? And his definition of value is the stuff you have around you. You know, you value the things that are close to you and a diff different way of looking at it. Very interesting. And we started talking about it. And I said, listen, I like speaking on stage. It's similar to you. I like, I like um, helping people get to where they, they can. I like challenging people and, and getting to see a different identity of themselves. So very similar profile to you. But I love, I love educating. I like being in the biggest rooms. I like to be there, not necessarily to be the, the, the biggest person in that room, but I get energy from those other environments. And he just said to me with a massive swear word, which I won't say on this, he said, you've just got to get out of your business and you've not got, you've got to have someone run that for you, right? If you're trying to run the business, then it's not going to work. And actually I found that to be true in my investments as well. I have people who run the investments and I float in every quarter, sprinkle fairy dust around the place, right? <laughs> to find what that is in a minute, but usually it's the vision and, and that, and then I go away and people feel inspired enough to then be operational. But if I stay there too long, the whole thing blows up. Kills it. But I think, the, so here's the, for me, I've, I think one of the things about knowing your profile and one of the things about being able to share it with your team is that your team don't think you're being difficult when you just say, look, that's really not, that's not something I should be doing because it's just not my flow. I, I'm not the best person in the team to do that. Actually, oh, John's much better at spreadsheets than me. Let's get John to do it, right? That's his thing. And the minute you start to be able to, you know, equate what I call kind of functions in the business with energies and, and people's profiles, right? You suddenly go, look, all charts are really outdated as a tool. It's like, actually, we should be thinking about, right, what's the flow in the business and what energy of the four different types of energy that we have in the business in terms of the people, which, what type of energy is needed to get this, get, get this function done or delivered? Do we need somebody who goes out and spreads the word, who is the torchbearer, who attracts opportunities, business um, partners, you know, that's, that's somebody's job. That's the champion's job. Then we don't want them in the office because if they're in the office, they're not doing the thing that contributes the most value to the business. And it's about going, everybody contributes value differently. And you need everybody on a team to contribute value. If you have too much of one type of profile, you will end up with, with blind spots and issues in that business and that team because the team is out of balance. So fundamentally, it's about understanding, look, I need, I need all of these energies to be represented in order for me to create a peak flow environment, right? And, and it starts with, A, as a leader, you've got to understand yourself. B, you've got to understand the people you work with, and they, and they need to understand the people they work with. Because you know what happens? And it's the, the kind of thing I talk about. You get tolerant of people because you go, oh, wait a second. Like, like my team knew, right, I'll tell you, this is, this is a funny story. My team knew that on Monday was, was, was a day when they were much better to just leave me the hell alone, right? Because they knew that after that kind of an event, the pendulum in my profile was going to swing the other way. And I was going to just want to be left alone all Monday to recover. Like they knew that. And, and they go, hey, Paul's pendulum's gone. You know, he's been on stage for two days, three days straight. He's been networking in the evenings, dinners. Like that pendulum will have been well and truly pushed to the right. And when it swings back, he's going to want to be in a, a room on his own, not talking to anybody for at least 24 hours to recover. And that's exactly what I needed on Monday. I needed the time for the pendulum to rebalance. And sometimes I think we can feel guilty for that, right? We go, oh, no, I, sh I, should I should show up on Monday and be my usual self. No, just, I don't, the energy isn't in me at the moment because I gave it all last week and it needs time to rebalance. And I think 
sometimes as leaders, if we don't understand how we're, how we work, how we operate, it's very hard for the people around us to support us. Number one. And number two, you, you care, if you're not careful, you end up with a, an environment where people don't tolerate each other because they're, they're because they're profile. Well, they, don't, they don't understand the context. And, yeah. and, and the question I've got for you though on this is let's say, obviously we, we deal a lot with businesses that are scaling up and quite often they've, they've built teams before they may meet you or I, right? Yes. Or for me, I have my acquire business. And of course I haven't built that team. I've just acquired it. Right. Yeah. But in either dimension, either I have to make some changes to, to get balance in a team, or maybe if I'm starting out and I'm starting to build my, my team from the very beginning, just to be clear on this, your, your, your suggestion is first to understand you. So yes. you've got a profile, I've got a profile. And then if I'm going to make my first couple of hires, how do yes. I, how do I do that? Do I look at the profile and see who's the most adjoined to me or how no. do I define that with the business, what the business needs, all that sort of thing? Okay. So it, it, this is where, this is where I differ, I think from a lot of people in terms of other people and how they teach it. Right. So like everyone will go, Oh, all entrepreneurs should get out of admin. Well, yes, I understand that because it's a lower value task. However, it depends on your profile. Again, it does depend yeah. on what, how you are. Right. So this is about going, right. You add value doing this. Okay, great. That means what are all the other tasks that need to be done that aren't, aren't your flow. And then we hire somebody who's for them, that is absolutely their flow. That's the thing that they would do exactly. And we write a job advert or um, a job description that, that reflects in the language and the words, that energy, that profile, that person, so that when you put it out into the world as a job opportunity, or you know, you attract people who resonate with those words. That was interesting. You just said you write it in the in the tone to some extent as well. So yeah. it's not just the actual, this is the no. job, it's written in a way which defines the roles, the success, the accountabilities. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I haven't heard that before. That's cool. And and it and and normally the person who owns the company is the worst person in the world to write the job ad because they're going to write it in, in a way that subconsciously would be something they would respond to. So I'll give you a good example, right? So I had a client, I'm I can't hire anybody for this, you know, support customer support role. And we looked at it and I went, well, what kind of, what are they doing every day? Well, they're, they're talking to customers, they're following up, they're making sure things get delivered. They need to be, you know, very system orientated. They need to be, you know, ticking things off and, and staying really connected with what's happening on the day to day. Okay, great. Well, I totally understand what that needs to be in terms of profile you know we, we run a couple of tests and they go, oh yeah i'm right that's exactly what we need it's um you know from from our perspective that's what we need and we go okay great we so we need a, a custodian profile which is somebody who looks after customers looks after people make sure everything all the promises the entrepreneur runs around and makes actually get delivered right and you go great then you read the job description because these people like things to be nice and stable they don't like craziness they don't like chaos they like they like they like to feel in control right and the job the job advert was written like Hey, this is a really exciting opportunity to join a fast growing, you know, dynamic business with lots of chance for growth and all the person who they uh, want to try. I reckon I've got the t-shirt on that one. I think I've written job ads <laughs> like that before and like thinking that that's what I want to join. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and the person, but here's the thing, the person they're trying to attract reads that job ad and goes, that's scary, terrifying, no control. Yeah, it makes uh, sense when you say it, doesn't there. it? <laughs> if you there. can, if you can. Okay. So you said beforehand that ideally, yeah. And I've heard Tony Robbins talk about this. He's got a different way, a very simplistic way of talking about the artist, the entrepreneur, the leader, and all that. Yeah. But I know that the profiling that you have is more um, considered and to some extent has more rigor to it. And yeah. I mean, remind me again, how many profiles are there? Uh, well, there are eight, um, yes. but it's based on 96 data points. Yeah. But, so, but the eight but profiles, what I want to get at here is if at the stage of business you're at, you're in, you can't build, you're at a very early stage, right? And you want to bring in, you can only really afford to bring a couple of people in at this point. And Correct. we'll talk about affordability as well, because I heard you say something quite interesting about how you make that decision, but we'll yeah. get to that. 
if you can't therefore bring in all of the profiles, all of that within one business, how do you Correct. determine the order? Okay. You don't need, first of all, let's just bust a myth right now. You don't need all of the profiles at the very beginning. You absolutely okay. don't, right? Ideally what you, and this can be part-time or full-time. And people often say to me, should I profile part-timers? Yes, definitely. Why would you not? And even people we outsource to, we still profile. Why? Because we want to make sure we set them up to win. We get them doing things that are naturally that they love. Because guess what? If people are in jobs and roles that they love and thrive in, they don't want to leave. Right. They don't like retention doesn't become an issue. People stay in roles that they're feeling like they're really good at and they're winning. Yeah. So ideally, what you, when you know your profile, you're going to go two round the compass. That's the first person you hire. So whatever you are. So if you're a champion, you're going to go two to the right because that's the first person you're going to hire. So, for example, if you're a champion, you'll be really good at attracting opportunities, which is great. But you probably allows it follow up, staying in touch with them. If they don't decide to do it really quickly, you move on. So actually what you need is a connector which is the first person you bring in your team because connectors stay in touch with people, build the relationships so that you can focus on attraction. They can focus on conversion and long-time nurture, right? So that Got makes it. sense. Then you're going to need, once you've made this, attracted the opportunity, made the sale, the connectors helped you made the sale, you're going to need to deliver and collect the money, which means then you go around the compass three and then you're going to need a conductor. And conductors are all about making sure that everything happens on time and the money gets collected on time and we get paid on time. All right. So and if you have why, all... why did you say two and then three? Why, why was there the jump? It's not so, is, yeah. is it because one profile, you're, you're close to your left yeah. and right? So if you go, so you think about, uh, I can yeah. do a visual, I've got a visual if you want me to put it on with behind us. No, it's but, okay, um, just talk through, we can, we can yeah, do it. So, so think about it this way. Um, you've got eight around the compass. So it's eight points of a compass. And it's ba and all of this is based on um, the I Ching from China. The Chinese were into this thousands of years ago. The original piece of work was translated and brought to the West by Carl Jung, who oh, pretty cool. much- Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, then, I've studied his brand archetypes before, which yeah. are fascinating on the commercial side as well as everything else. Yeah. Absolutely. But that, that's what drove most profiling tools, right? So DISC, Myers-Briggs, all of those, came from the work that Carl Jung did. But what Carl Jung realized with subsequent work was that he took out the one bit of the I Ching that really makes it work, which is this whole idea of energy and flow, and that actually it's all about energies. And if you don't understand the energies, that the archetypes don't quite work in the same way. And we went back to the original source when we built this to go, look, let's go back to the original source. And we worked with um, one of the world's top authorities on the I Ching and went, right, what do, what do we need to put in ours that makes sure we keep all five elements? Because all of this, the Chinese are so far ahead of us, it's ridiculous. North, south, east, and west. That you know, in a business, you need people who can do the north, moving stuff forward. The east, the, the north, the south, the east, and the west. And if you understand that, even determines how you should make decisions in a business, right? We can talk about that if you would like to. But there's a, there's a, there's a. Most people make decisions and ask the wrong questions in the wrong order, and then wonder why they get stuck. Because there's a particular way that energy flows. And if you understand that, then you understand how you should be asking questions to solve any puzzle you've got in your business and in which order you should ask them. Um, anyway, wow. sorry, where did you, where did you tell me about a rise? Right, right. No, so no, I was just asking about, well, I, I think I answered my own question by saying that, you know, if you're a profile that's here, yeah. you're going to have traits either side right. of all, that. And so you want to go around. Yep. Yeah, go jump in. All three, all three cover all eight. That's the reason. Got so it. if you, if, so if you have the three that I'm suggesting, for example, and, and it's two round and then three round, you cover all eight on the compass when you consider the secondaries. So when you consider the, 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 you know, the right and left hands, if you think about it like that for a second. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, so if you're wherever you start eight. on the compass, right, where, whatever yes. your profile is, yep. two and three will give you balance. Certainly Correct. if you, if you only limited at that point in time to have maybe a couple of people in your team. Correct. And Got with it. that, sense. you can scale, you can scale really rapidly with those three elements of it. Yeah, very good. Just those.
Yeah. So what I just just to kind of for everyone's context here, because I wanted to go through this with Paul, because I said it's you know he's gone deep into this, um, and also for the stuff that we're doing across scale up your business, um, our coaching consultancy business, we're going to be doing some partnership stuff with Paul on this because it's an area that I think we want to have the best thinking and the best application on because it's such an important part of scale up it comes up all the time doesn't it you yeah. know right people right seats you know Gino Wickman's talked about it everyone talks about it but they don't really go that deep into it it's just like a oh, high people <laughs> but how you do it and why it matters and how you incentivize how you reward communicate all of those pieces you know are underpinned by mm. understanding as you said the stuff that makes people really play play in their zone of genius so, so you just said something that I think I just, I want to catch because it's, it's something that this is when you get this, you realize how one, one fit solutions are, are not always the answer, right? So you say, well, how do we reward people? Well, I always say, well, that depends on what profile you're talking about. Because there are some profiles, and I can show you the data on this. If you offer them a choice between money and time off, they're always going to take time off. Why? Because time with their families is typically mm-hmm. one of their highest values, right? Like there are other profiles who absolutely get off on significance and would go, I'd like a watch or I'd like a holiday or I'd like a better car. That will motivate them. But for other people, they wouldn't care about that. That wouldn't mean anything to them at all right so you've rather people it'd be hey fun team days days out team days that really motivates me i want to go out and have fun together and all that that's that's all the inspiring energy profiles but i'll tell you right now and this happens in a team a lot i said i had a client i mean the other day they said oh we keep taking everyone out on the inspire these, these team days to motivate people but two people refuse to go and i just looked on the chart and i went well given their profiles i'm not surprised i mean they genuinely like hey they don't want to be around people and he said oh I said, are they very good at what they do? He said, they're brilliant at what they do in the operations of finance role. They're brilliant. Everything runs really smoothly. You know, no problems at all. I said, so why why does it matter that they come and do something you really know is going to make them stressed out to do? Like, what? why are you insisting that that's what they have to do? I said, leave them running the bits they're brilliant at. You know, fine. They can go, other people can go and have fun because they're looking at that going, I don't want to do that in a million years. That's a, that's a demotivator, not a motivator for them. And it's like, you just, you have to have this lens to go, look, I need to think a little bit in 4D in terms of going, look, there's four different energies in my team. And I need to think how I, how I communicate and interact with people based on their, their profile. But once you get it, like, it's like glasses with, with a different kind of lens. The minute you see clearly, you go, oh, wait a second, hang on a minute. Uh, This explains all the problems I've had in the relationships for the last 10 years of my life. Yeah, well, I've got, I've got, um, I've got one insight that's jumped out and then I've got two final questions for you. But the, the first, the first insight is what you said beforehand about if, you know, when the job ad, right? Like it's a small thing, but when you, when I've, I think I've always written a job ad based on what I want it to be, not thinking about the context of the role that that's gold, man. Cause I think you're right. Like, you know, if you're trying to bring an ops person in and you're talking about, you know, pace, energy, vision, they're like, I just want to fall off a chair. Um, final sort of couple of questions though. Um, when you're thinking about the profile and we're talking about obviously characteristics that people can be successful with, yep. and to some extent also that does lend itself to certain types of, let's call it domain expertise, right? Yeah. But you know, if you're saying, okay, I need a marketing person or I need an ops person or I need a finance person, how do you contextualize that with the profiles? Are there certain profiles which fit the actual capability or just explain how that works? So, um, so for me, that's the wrong question, right? Because it's not the function, it's the contribution. So okay. give you a really quick example of this. If you said, well, I need a finance person. So and you go, well, you definitely need refining energy because you need all the details and everything like that. And then you say, well, what's the contribution? You say, well, actually, I want this finance director to go out and raise money from the city. 
you go, well, that's the worst profile to have go and do that because they, they'd be terrible at that. So it's like, it's about the contribution because every profile can do everything. It's just, they do them differently. So it's about okay. what do you need? What do you need this role to contribute to the team or the organization? And that should drive the selection of so who if you I need someone to build, let's say a lot of people struggle with, you know, predictable flow of ideal customers. Okay. To play right. with that. Right. So if I said, I just want a machine that automates lead generation, machine, right. machine, meaning I just want this whole thing to be predictable. Mm-hmm. That would lend itself to a certain type of, let's call it marketeer. Yeah. Yes. So if if the marketing role, this is, this is where people get caught. They say, I need I need someone to, to do marketing. And I'm like, well, what kind of marketing? If it's events marketing where you want to bring customers together and, and have events, that's a certain type of energy and a certain type of profile. If you want um, someone to run your digital marketing where it's all analytics, data, numbers, spreadsheets, it's all of that, then you're going to need a different type of profile. If you want somebody who's going to be you know building out your social media and is all creative, again, marketing but done done with a different kind of profile to do it it's not as easy nowadays to say and it never was but it you can't just say well i need someone for marketing it's like well i need someone for sales well hang on a second do you need someone to go and knock down doors and, and attract brand new business or do you need someone to look after existing customers and grow existing accounts they're they're both sales but they're very different types of profiles that you would need to recruit. Mm, so again, it's sense. just it's it's just you you have to have a little bit of a distinction about what's what's the contribution I'm trying to get from this. Is it some you know is it creative? Is it relationship? Is it time based? Is it data based? And if you think in, in terms of numbers, is it is it process? Is it people? Is it creative ideas? Is it solving problems or is it making sure stuff happens and you you deliver? on your promises. We, what, which one are we going for here? Which one feels the most connected in terms of those energies? And then, and then you can start to break down who you need. Yeah, cool. Okay. I think that's another useful thing for people here because I think people don't talk like that. Certainly a lot of the businesses in, in my world of private equity don't go into that. No. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't even come up. It's like, we just need a marketing person. And you know, did they work in the same industry? And have they done stuff in their CV? So listen, final question for you because I mean, you mentioned this, um, I think it was one of your social media posts and I thought it was really, really good. Um, thing to bring up. It was around when is the best time to hire someone? Yes. And a lot of people ask me, I can't afford it. And I have a very similar philosophy to you about, well, you don't need to look at the whole salary. You just need to look at your cash flow over a period of time. And you, you mentioned something about an equation around three months of cash flow divide and the decision, if that all makes sense, then the answer is yes. Yeah. to go for it. Can you just <laughs> unpack that? Cause I've probably just butchered it, but it was, no. it was something along those lines. <laughs> no, you're great. Um, I mean, the, the reality is that's the heads, that's the mindset trap, isn't it? Someone's, and and by the way, this happens when you're hiring somebody at say twenty thousand dollars a year, or a client of mine who's just hiring somebody at hundred thousand dollars a year for the first time. It's the same head stuff. It's like, can I afford a hundred thousand? Oh, that's a big number. And I just went, we'll break it down. It's three months, correct? Yes. So okay, what what's the number of three months? Let's so say one hundred twenty thousand. Make the number easy. Ten thousand dollars for three months. Okay. Yeah. So can you afford to cash flow comfortably fifty percent of that? And he was like, well, yeah, easily. I said, well, then do it. I said, okay. I said, because here's the form. That's the formula I've used, whether you're hiring somebody part-time, whether you're hiring somebody full-time, whether it's a salesperson, a managing director, if you can, if you can comfortably afford them for three months at 50% of the salary, hire them. And the reason being is that number one, in three months, you're going to know whether they're, they're adding value and contributing the other 50% and they should be creating that. If they're not, they're probably not the right person and they're on a probationary period anyway. So if it doesn't work out, Okay, it doesn't work out. Secondly, it takes the pressure off, but it does create a bit of a pressure on you to make sure that they're up and running and contributing value to either save you time so that you can create the money for the other 50% or create revenue themselves or free someone else up in the business to generate revenue for the other 50%. 
And every single time I've had a client get stuck and we go through that number, they realize it's a lot less money than they thought they needed. And nine times out of 10, they can usually cash flow the entire salary for three months anyway. But it just gives them a benchmark to go, like, if you can get over 50% and you can comfortably afford it, how much is your time worth now? And what are, what are yeah, we arguing? That's about? the piece that I miss because I think, you know, it's, it's, if you think about it, like, let's just say it was the, if someone was 120 grand and it was three months, well, that's 30K, right? But you're suggesting it's 50% of that amount. Yes. I'm saying so 15K. If you, if you can comfortably you do that. Yeah. If you can comfortably cash flow 15K, then I would suggest you, you bring them in, you know, you hire them and you bring them in and then you're going, right. We've got to make this work because I need to make the other 15K up in terms yeah, of productivity. It gives, the, it gives the incentive to actually be very clear on the output, the outcome as well. Yeah, totally. no, very good. I remember reading that. That's Because that's I, I had a client, um, a seven-figure real estate business in London, really growing well, you know, doing really, really well. And I'd suggested something similar. I hadn't done the 50%, but I'd sort of said, listen, you've got to break this down into monthly cash flow. Don't think about it like an annual salary because he was bringing in someone on 100K. And we changed the whole package to have um, some upside on the commission and all sorts of different things. But but in the end, he did it. This is a while back now. And he's now done another two like that across different sites and his business is growing massively. But he wouldn't have made that decision previously. But I, I love the way you articulated that. It was very good. Yeah, it helps. It's a formula. Sometimes I think business owners just need a formula that goes, give me a formula that I can go yes or no. And, you know, then you, you you can crack on and make the decision and go write the job ad that actually appeals to the person you're looking to bring in. Awesome. Well, we are at time in this conversation. It's gone quick. I can't believe that. Seriously. There you go. See, oh, I like well. hanging out with you. Time flies when I spend time with you because we're both in flow. That's what that's there we about. We are. We are. We're now, we're as I said, the zone of genius. You know, I love doing this stuff too. I always learn stuff from these conversations as much as I like to share those insights with the people listening. And I think, you know, as I've always said with this show, it's, you know, I, I'm not necessarily the expert across many things. I like to curate the experts and bring them in, you know, and get them to, to be able to, you know, offer that value to people. So, Paul, you are certainly, you know, on top of your game, my friend, and um, and certainly that. the lane that you play in. And, and you know, I've, as I said, I've experienced some of your some of your clients and some of the people in your community, and um, they've been with you a long time, which I think is also sentiment to the value that you've added to their businesses and their lives. So thank, thank you. you very much for coming on Scale Up today, for sharing your wisdom. And just to finish off, um, mm. if anyone does want to come to NECA. <laughs> <laughs> just find find me on LinkedIn and message me on LinkedIn and say, yes, I'd love to find yeah, out Yeah, do that because because yeah. Paul, Paul's got the whole events engine behind him and, and I'm just going to turn up and do things. No, I'm joking. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's completely fair. I'm, I'm all right with that. Luckily, I've got a good team who run our events business. Um, I think you even offered Becky a job, actually, the last time you came and spoke, Oh, didn't she you? offered it to me. She came to me and said, I can, you know, I, I actually know all these things. Mind you, it was a North American thing, but anyway. Um, <laughs> awesome. So listen, where can people find you? You mentioned your website, I think, a second ago, Paul, didn't you? So where can people uh, reach so out li- to So LinkedIn, I'm really active on LinkedIn, so I post pretty much almost every day, if not every day. So I'm on LinkedIn a lot and easy to find. Um, so that's one of the gifts of my name, which is really good. Or just go to paulavins.com. Um, or you can email me directly if you want to as well at paul at paulavins.com, um, which is on this video as well. You can see this. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm fairly easy to find on social media. So if you go through those, if you want to find out about the Team Dynamics and the profiling, go to teamdynamics.com. Um, and there's tons of stuff on there. Plus, there's a free report you can get about the eight different profiles, how they work, uh, and help you identify which one you are as well. So if you go to teamdynamics.com, there's a free report you can grab all about that and go into it in a lot more detail than we have here. Perfect. And of course, you'll know you're in the right place on paulavens.com because it'll be purple. Definitely. (laughs) All right, Paul. Listen, as I said, a pleasure um, having you on the show today. Thanks for bringing your wisdom, your insight and um, being very uh, generous with your time. It's much appreciated. 
Uh, listen, you. I love spending time with you. Thanks ever so much for everything you did for my community when you came recently. And um, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve. So any chance I get the opportunity to share and uh, and help people build a, a dream team, because it's amazing how many people say dream work makes the team work or is it teamwork makes the dream work. Right. Way around. And um, and yet nobody knows how to make, how to do that. And I'm like, I'm determined to decode that for people. So that's my mission. Awesome. Well, we've done that today. Thank you. Take it. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.